This is the Overdue Homework Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. I'm here with Trav. I'm Drew. And And I'm Trav. And you're Trav. I'm going to walk over that every time. You know, we were talking. I didn't have a story for today. I just thought of a story. Boom. Why do you do that? I'm totally cool with it, and I think it's very funny. Is it a reference into something? What? When you say, when you reintroduce yourself. Oh, no. I I have no idea. That's just the first thing that clicked when you started doing it. That's great. I really do like that a lot. Um, So this is the Overdue Homework Podcast, and our mission statement basically is to bring 80s and 90s media, and that includes TV, that includes movies, and that includes video games, um, back into the forefront to introduce these uh, these things to anybody that's never seen them before. Um, how are you doing today, Trav, before we really get started? I am pretty darn good myself. How about you, Drew? I'm really good, except I'm a little bit embarrassed about some of the mistakes we made in the last episode. So We I'm, have a few corrections. Yeah, two <laughs> corrections for sure. And please, if there are more corrections to make, I hope we get emails. Um, number one is glaring mistake. Uh, Kim Basinger is not in Batman Returns. She is not. She's not whatsoever. I, mean, I had my eyes wide open waiting for her to be in it at some point, and she never showed up. I have no idea why I said that in the last episode. Uh why I wrote it down, because I read it directly from my notes. I even went back and looked at the notes from the last episode, and I'm like, yep, there it is. There it is. So that was completely and utterly wrong. Um, And then also, both of us were switching back and forth between Grisham and Grissom. Um, It's Carl Grissom. 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 We were both switching back and forth, and I never caught myself doing it during the episode. I never thought once, like, I'm saying this guy's name wrong. Same. Yeah. I know I said Grisham every time, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, n- not a big deal. That's why we're doing corrections really quickly. Um, I guess before we start uh, talking about the homework review, I want to know your opinion on whether or not you consider uh, Batman Returns to be a Christmas movie. 100%. It's definitely in the Christmas rotation now. All you have to do is reference Christmas at some point in the movie, and that's enough for me. Yeah, uh, ultimately, I think I feel the same way when it comes to Christmas movies. Yeah. Um, but this movie, like, Christmas is involved in the plot. They're lighting a tree twice. Right. Right? So Lots of presents throughout yes. the movie. And we talked when we just watched the movie together here that uh, it will be in the Christmas rotation from it now on. It will be in the rotation. I will go straight from A Christmas Story to Batman Returns to, I don't know, what else, anything else Christmas, you know? Even uh, uh, the newest Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which uh, I enjoy. Did, have you I've seen, never seen it? You haven't seen the newest one? So the the one from the 70s was called Willy, Willy Wonka, Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the Tim Burton one from the mid to late 2000s, 2010s. The, I don't one, even, the one with Johnny Depp? Yes, the one with Johnny Depp. Uh, that one is Charlie and, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. Uh, that one's a Christmas movie. I like that one. Um, so I guess we can just jump right into Batman Returns here. Um, let's jump on in. Let's jump on in. I want to start with an interesting story about um, how the idea of a sequel to 1989's Batman, how it went from Batman 2 to Batman Returns. So I've, I found a pretty cool article on denofgeek.com. A guy named David Crow uh, wrote it. Um, and I'm just going to give you an idea of what Batman 2 was supposed to look like. So 
the studio executive, uh, studio executives, and the screenwriter Sam Ham, Sam Ham, wanted a sequel, uh, but Burton called it a dumbfounded idea. So Burton wasn't very interested in making a sequel. That's weird to me. It is. I mean, I guess Tim Burton maybe he's not looking for dollar signs all the time or anything like that. Yeah. Um. So. Michael Keaton was originally supposed to be involved in Batman 2, but he needed more money, and for Tim Burton to get on board, he needed to have a lot more control. He wanted to make the movie he wanted to make instead yeah. of what the studio wanted to make. Um, should we talk about the villains that may have been considered for Batman 2? Let's hear them. Um, Sam Hamm, uh, the screenwriter for Batman 2, he wanted Harvey Dent, which and it would have been Billy D. Williams as Harvey Dent. Right. So as Two-Face. And then Warner Brothers, the studio, wanted the Penguin, and that was mostly on the fact that the Penguin from the 60s Batman was one of the more popular characters out of that series and, uh, and movie. And Meredith Bur- Burgess Meredith uh, was a popular actor, and so that's what uh, uh, Warner Brothers wanted. And then Burton and Ham both wanted to have Catwoman. Um, they ended up with uh, Penguin and the Catwoman, uh, Partly as a, a compromise, so like the studio gets something and then they get something too. Sure. Um, it was still supposed to be set at Christmas, um, but not quite like so overtly set at Christmas. It would have been more like the fact, it, it would have been decorated like Christmas, but there would have been no real plot tie-ins. Sure. Except for the AK-47 wielding Santa Claus, <laughs> yeah. which would have been a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool addition to any movie probably. Probably. <laughs> um, Vicky Vale would have actually been in this one. All right, so you wouldn't have lied to everybody. <laughs> I wouldn't have lied. And as a matter of fact, they would have uh, Bruce and Vicky would have been engaged by the end of the movie. Um, the Penguin would have had a much uh, less lesser of a role. Um, would have used birds as uh, weapons. I mean, he did that in this one too, but... Sort of. Yeah, not until the very end, I guess. Yeah. Um, and the Catwoman was supposed to be super sexual. She was super sexual in Batman Returns, but like <laughs> I was gonna say, more sexual. More sexual. Her costume was uh, literally supposed to be <clears throat> bondage gear. That's what it was described as. So yikes. Yeah, yikes is right. <laughs> um, so we kind of just said it. Not too much really changed when it came to that. Her costume was obviously toned down, and it was way more innuendo than overt sexuality. But yes. uh, and then a twelve-year-old Robin was going to be introduced. So a whole two movies earlier. That'd have been interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, the plot, okay, the plot would have been about Catwoman and the Penguin collecting Raven statues to unearth a hidden treasure that is in the Batcave that Bruce Wayne doesn't know about. That seems <laughs> super far fetched. But... It's like a like a I don't know like an Agatha Christie murder mystery type <laughs> of th- I don't know. Uh, uh, Finally, I guess there would have been a subplot where Batman was protecting the homeless. So I, I don't know in what capacity, like if he was going to be a champion for the homeless, if he was, uh, if the homeless were trying to be representative of just the uh, middle class or lower class of people in Gotham. But I guess he wanted to protect the homeless. I mean, the homeless need protection too. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, so what... What happened with this script that Sam Ham had this uh, this script that Sam Ham had put together? Uh, Burton didn't like anything with the production of this movie whatsoever. From like 
top to bottom. And the only way that Tim Burton would do the movie is if he could make a Tim Burton movie. And that's a direct quote from Sam Hamm himself. <laughs> and uh, clearly that did happen. Cl- clearly that did happen. Um, Burton got to do what he wanted to do, so he brought on screenwriter Danley Walters to rekajigger the whole thing. <laughs> and bam, you got Batman Returns. So there's a whole lot more in that article, so you should find that article if you want to learn a lot more about that. Um, do you have any overall feelings with this movie that you would like to discuss? Any impressions that you want to bring up before we start going scene by scene? Well, I'm glad Tim Burton got the reins on this movie because it turned out amazing. And one of the first things I thought was that Tim Burton out Tim Burton Tim Burton. <laughs> right away in the first scene in the wintry scene I'm just like this is the most Tim Burton movie ever in the first 60 seconds yes and when we were watching the movie you made many comments and how it uh, gave you the feels for uh, Nightmare Before Christmas yes. and I hadn't necessarily made all the connections that you did but as soon as you pointed them out especially with the way the music that Danny Elfman put together yeah. uh, is presented in the movie it's very uh, very much uh a precursor to Nightmare Before Christmas. And the other thing I like about it a lot is the multiple enemies throughout the movie. I think it makes it a better all-around movie compared to the first one because you have Grissom and the Joker (laughs) in the first one, but, I mean, the Joker takes out Grissom after no time, so it's pretty much the one villain, which Mm -hmm. works for the first movie, but I like that you've got three kind of villains but i mean obviously as a viewer you love catwoman yeah that she's the villain you love to hate or yes. hate to love love to hate yeah uh they and they all kind of they all kind of work in like in in they all kind of work together right and catwoman obviously is there for her own thing and her own uh she wants the the means she wants to do what she wants to do and yes. isn't afraid to manipulate anybody in the way um, I guess we can just uh, move on to the scene by scene now. Let's do it. So some of my first impressions in the opening scenes, is it's the same uh, great music by Danny Elfman, and he was he was back, and he was happy to be back. Um, interestingly enough, uh, this is the first film to use Dolby Digital Sound. Hmm. Well, that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Penguin's father, Paul Rubens, we see him at... He looks a lot like Burgess Meredith, and that's on purpose, you know, maybe hinting at the fact that the 60s uh, penguin is actually the penguin in this movie's father. I think that's a bit of a leap, but uh, at least a nod to Burgess Meredith. Uh, the first images that we see of the penguin, um, the penguin's in a cage. In a cage. In a cage. Like some sort of animal. Like some sort of animal. Uh, soon thereafter, he eats the cat. Eats the cat. You <laughs> know. That's normal. Uh, after he eats the cat, uh, his mother and father share a look, and it's time to ditch that baby. That's the last straw. <laughs> that, well, he took down another cat. He's out of here. Yeah, that was probably a, at least the fourth or fifth cat at that point because they oh, weren't for sure. they weren't overly surprised by it yeah, happening again. <laughs> get him out of here. Just get him out of here. That's it. Um, so if you were to ditch a baby, how would you do it? I mean, 
is there a better way than dumping him off a bridge? <laughs> I mean, that's probably <laughs> the most convenient way to get rid of him. Dumping him off a bridge. I feel in... like usually it would be drop him on a doorstep, you know, maybe yep. in unharmed, like, please take care of the baby that I'm not going to take care of anymore. But they're like, no, we're not going to make anybody put up with this guy eating your cats. It's yep. over. Hopefully this baby dies. That's Hopefully what they... he's dead. <laughs> So, and during the opening credits, this is, we see all this stuff happening and, uh, the baby penguin, he takes what amounts to the most depressing, uh, flume ride in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) But he eventually comes ashore to, um, all the abandoned leftover penguins from the now defunct zoo that sits in the middle of Gotham and has all these animals still living in it, but nobody's (laughs) taking care of them. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so 33 years later, um, it's a really cool, awesome uh, matte painting right away that we see. And when we see 33 years later at the bottom of the screen, um, and it's Christmas time, the penguins in the news, um, and the sex is immediately ratcheted up with the scantily clad button pusher lady for the uh, Christmas tree that they're going to light. Yep. We soon see Max Shrek. Uh, in his office, and now I say Max Shrek for the first time, I'm going to be saying Shrek a lot in this <laughs> podcast, and it's slightly off-putting because of Shrek. Shrek. <laughs> I wonder how many times you'll say Shrek by the end of the episode. A lot. It's going to be a, a lot. Kind of like last episode's <laughs> Very good chance. Very good chance. Um, I absolutely love uh, Christopher Walken in this uh, role. Um, he's... Christopher Walken playing Christopher Walken like he does in every role, but but it works it like works. every other role. Yeah, he's super engaging, super mesmerizing. Um, are you prepared to do your best Christopher Walken impression? Oof. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm gonna give it a shot. It's Let, gonna be bad. Let's see what you got. Okay. <clears throat> um, I want to build a power plant, and I'm gonna steal all your power because there's a surplus of power. It's not good. I tried. I even like listened to how to do Christopher Walken impression impressions online before we started the podcast. I'm here to catch a mouse <laughs> for you by me. I'm going to need the money up front. That's all I got. That's good, dude. I like it. That's good. You work that. I like it. I like it. That's good. Um, so, yeah, he pitches the power plant. Immediately, tons of sexism is uh, uh, aimed at Selena Kyle. Um, she's cowering in front of all these men. They're uh, making fun of her. And Christopher Walken says, well, at least she makes a good cup of coffee. And that gives everybody a really good laugh. Um, after this, they all get up and get out of there after she's just served them all coffee and nobody drank any of it. Um, <laughs> they're up and out of there and Trek is going down to uh, give a speech in front of everybody in front of the Christmas tree right before they're going to light it up. Um, the crowd, my impressions of the scene of the crowd absolutely loves him. I mean, he's like the philanthropist, uh, store owner, rich, one of the richest people in Gotham. Yeah. Um, but he leaves his speech upstairs that he's gonna, he's gonna do. And right before he gives the speech, he, uh, leans over. Is it his son that he talks to? Yeah. Yeah. And he says that, uh, I'm going to take this up with Kyle or something like that. Yeah. Immediately blames her for forgetting something of his own. Yep, it's um, all her fault. Yeah, and we see that the penguin is obviously planning something from the uh, nearby sewers. Soon thereafter, the a gigantic package gets rolled into uh, 
the square that they're at, Gotham Square. That's normal. That's absolutely normal. And Shrek, so I th- Shrek says, uh, this wasn't me. This right? wasn't me. This wasn't me. I don't know, it's getting worse by the second. Um, and it's the Red Triangle Gang. And they're here to destroy everybody. And it's obviously, since we saw the Penguin's uh, flippers holding on to the sewer grates, it's obviously uh, a plan by the Penguin. A um, whole bunch of uh, motorcycle skull-wearing motorcyclists and acrobats and ex carnies, ex carnies, an organ grinder dude that turns his uh, organ into a Gatling gun. Um, did you recognize that guy? I did not. Mm. He's kind of a famous uh, uh, character actor that I remember seeing a lot in the '90s. His name's Vincent Chiavelli. Uh, he was in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which. Danny DeVito w- was also in. That's one of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. So who is he in that movie? Uh, I don't have the character's oh, okay, name, but okay, he's okay. in it. So it's interesting that they're That's in this cool. movie together. Um, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. He's in Buckaroo Banzai, which I know Buckaroo Banzai is a movie you've never seen, but it's a movie that's nope. one of my favorites out of the 80s that has Peter Weller in it. That will definitely be a homework assignment someday in the future. He was in uh, Better Off Dead, Ghost, and in the Hey Arnold movie. Nice. Yeah. So he's been all over the place. Um, once the Red Triangle gang is doing their thing and kind of destroying everything in Gotham Square, the bat signal gets put up, right? There it is. There it is, the bat signal. And uh, Bruce Wayne has a set of giant mirrors that lead directly into Wayne Manor that uh, allow him to never miss a bat signal. Perfect. The perfect and obviously point where Batman lives and who Batman is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? no, no suspicion there at all. No, not n- none whatsoever. Um, so he's literally just waiting in his in a dark room, waiting for this bat signal to be shown all over yeah. his books. So, do you think that he's got nothing else? Do you think he's obsessed? He clearly, <laughs> everyone's just like, oh, well, the signal's going. To- Bruce must know Batman, so he, mm. he oh, we send the signal to Bruce, and then he, you know, I like speed that. dials him. I like that. Um, I think he's obviously obsessed and this is like all he's got in his life oh, is to be yeah. Batman. That's all he's care. That's all he cares about. That's all he wants to do is just to be Batman. Yep. Um, so we sue, we soon see, um, Bruce tearing in there in the Batmobile. Still got that, uh, same dumb bat suit. Same dumb bat suit. <laughs> A little tiny bit different, but not so much upgraded. Yeah, it's slightly better. Uh, he doesn't have like realistic looking abs anymore. It looks more like armor. Yeah. Um, that's about it, though. That's about it. Yeah, that's about it. Um, Later you find out he has multiples of the same exact <laughs> outfit. Same exact bat suit. Straight Goku. Um, so Batman's down there, obviously. He's going to be uh, trying to take care of business. And... Uh, Soon after he arrives there, he comes face-to-face with a fire breather, which probably wouldn't really do much to the Batmobile, right? No. No. But he manages to have this big thing come down and lift the Batmobile up and turn it around because he is going to kill that man with the flames from his afterburners. Killing him. He <laughs> waited till the end of the first movie to kill someone. Didn't wait too long in this one. No, so the whole idea of a no-kill Batman is long gone in long this movie. Gone. Very soon. And, uh, and uh, what even is the contraption that goes under his car to lift him and spin him? Would that not have to be like the heaviest piece of equipment for that car ever? It I would, guess. and it would take up most of the space in the car right yeah yeah and later he punches a hole in the floor so uh, <laughs> all right, maybe all right not. we'll go with it i guess <laughs> he killed that fire blower 
Um, he gets out of the Batmobile soon after that to help uh, Selena Kyle, who happens to be down there, and she's been taken hostage by a um, uh, taser-wielding clown. Is, yeah, taser-wielding clown. Um, so he gets out, and we see our first grappling hook of the whole movie. And there aren't as many grappling hooks. No, I and I, I, while we were watching it, I think that's the only like true grappling hook. I think so. The other ones were like zip lines. Yep. Yeah, I actually wrote that down as way less grappling hooks. <laughs> way yeah, less. Yeah, we just watched it. Yeah, I think it's pretty much 99% zip lines with that one grappling hook. Yeah, uh, interesting. Maybe Tim Burton saw the 1989 and said, man, too I, many oh, I'm embarrassed at the amount of grappling hooks <laughs> that are in this movie. Too many grappling hooks. Yep. So he saves uh, Selena Kyle. She's pretty impressed. Doesn't know whether to call him Batman or the Batman. Um. He leaves looking at her like, dang lady, you crazy. You crazy. <laughs> he leaves. Uh, then we get our first taste of Selena Kyle's sadistic side. She picks up that taser, <laughs> gives it a good hard look, and then zaps that guy. Zaps him. Just zaps him. Uh, and it looked like she really enjoyed it. That was pretty cool. I'm going to hold on to this for later. Right. So all of this confusion and everything, Max Shrek makes his escape from the, the uh, Gotham Square. And we see him in an alleyway, and he's just kind of backing along the walls, trying to look all safe. And... Go, Dad, save yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's a really good line. That guy is not, I'm glad he didn't have very many more lines. Yeah, thankfully. And then uh, all of a sudden, he's standing on a, a sewer grate, and then, whoops, there goes Max Shrek. He's going there down he in the sewer. Um, he gets to meet the penguin. And uh, Danny DeVito is pretty amazing. In he this is pretty movie. amazing. He's very gross. Very disgusting. I get the impression that I can smell him. Oh, yeah. Smell him, his breath, his onesie, everything. Everything. About. I get the impression that he's very greasy. Very greasy. Uh, I get the impression that he is overly smart for having lived with penguins for 33 years. Way <laughs> too smart. It makes zero sense, but that's okay. That's okay. Maybe he was raised by clowns also? Clowns and penguins. Clowns and penguins. Oh, man, that's yes. that's a tough childhood. Yeah. Um, at this point, this is when the penguin convinces Shrek to kind of team up with him so he can push his own agendas. And he yes. does that by blackmailing Shrek. Yep. Um, toxic waste. Um, shredded documents. Would you like to say the line? A little bit of, or wait, a lot of tape and a little bit of patience. There you go. That's the line right there. And then also not to forget the fact that uh, Shrek also murdered his partner, Fred Atkins. Yeah. <laughs> not a big deal. Here's his hand for you. <laughs> Oh, was, oh, him? He's doing fine. Oh, okay. Here, here's his hand. Which he was absolutely repulsed by, and then is later shaking it and looking only mildly amused. That's what I thought, too. I like, <laughs> okay, it's not as scary the second time, I guess. Yeah. Shock value's gone. Um, After this scene, we get back to seeing what Selena Kyle's doing. Uh, she's a cat lover. Cat lover. She <laughs> likes cats. And milk. Um, and there's immediately some heavy innuendo from her character when she's going through her uh answering machine messages she gets one from her mother which she's obviously annoyed by she gets one from the shrek's department store which she doesn't really care very much about and then she gets uh one from seemingly her 
her boyfriend, obviously not a very serious boyfriend. Yeah, um, some crazy person. He gives her some uh, bull about not wanting to be an appendage to somebody, and she says, uh, some appendage. <laughs> so he's she's talking about the size of his penis. His little wee-wee. Yeah. And then the last, you can't forget about the last message, which was the call from herself reminding her to get files about Bruce Wayne, yep. which... If she got in trouble, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here. If she got in trouble for doing that, why would she go back to do it? Like she, In the first place, yeah. At this point, she's not Catwoman. She has no ulterior motive to right. be doing any of these things. She's seemingly doing that because it's her job. Yes. But then when she does it, it's, oh, you're not supposed to be doing this. Right. So, <laughs> not too clear. Not too that. clear on that one to move the plot ahead, it must be. Um, so now we're back in Shrek's office and she, through looking through the files, she has discovered what Max's true plan is with the, uh, power plant. Um, and she found these true, uh, these true plans by guessing his password and his password was Geraldo. Geraldo, the Chihuahua. The Chihuahua. And so Geraldo Rivera at this time was a very popular media personality. Oh, that's cool. Do you think there's any chance that tim burton was not a geraldo fan and was saying uh you're just a little barking dog and (laughs) that's very possible it's me drawing my own conclusions i haven't seen anything like that whatsoever anywhere uh i just it struck me as odd because i mean he was a he was all over the tv at at that time Mm -hmm. yeah like we said uh selena kyle discovered shrek's plan to actually hoard power to use his said power plant as a capacitor to store power to then sell it back to people at a higher price is what I'm assuming is the end game with that. Yep. Um, he's not that happy about it, and they have a, a quick little exchange where he's very intimidating, and he's getting closer and closer and closer, and he kind of jukes her out. And, uh, she's like, it's not like you're going to kill me or something. Uh, and then she's pushed out the window immediately. Yes. Um, the awnings save her life. That's the only way. She went through four or five awnings. I think yep. I counted them. Yeah. Uh, four or five awnings landed pretty hard either way and was having a seizure, was yeah, knocked still out cold. looks dead right away. Mm-hmm. She goes pale immediately yes. out there in the cold. And uh, that is Selena Kyle's first fall of the movie. The first fall. Um, this is where the transition to Catwoman happens. Yep. Um, we kind of discussed whether or not it was actually the fall where she wakes up that she uh, has transitioned to Catwoman or if it's a little bit later after she plays some more uh, answering machine messages. Well, maybe we should explain to people what an answering machine is. True. <laughs> some people don't know. So you should you should have done the homework, but an answering machine is something that would answer your phone for you when you weren't home and people could leave recorded messages on it. So it's fairly self-evident of what it was doing in the movie. But just in case you had never seen anything like with the, like that before, it was very common. Everybody had one. People sometimes had more than one. So, yeah, that's what an answering machine is. There it is. Um, but, yeah, she stumbles back into her her apartment, and this whole scene and everything as a kid when I would watch this was always really off-putting to me and I found to be really scary. I don't know why, but it always scared the crap out of me every time I would watch this movie. She looks like a zombie. She does. Um, she knocking shit over, doesn't care about anything. No, her she leaves her apartment door wide open. Wide open. Yeah, she just, yeah. Yeah, she says her her uh, her uh, tagline again. Honey, I'm home. Yeah. Oh right, I'm, I'm there. Not, same thing. Yeah. Same thing. Uh, so yeah, she stumbles to her apartment. She's totally out of it. She goes straight for the milk, um, and then she plays that answering machine again. 
And when she gets another call from uh, Shrek's department store, it's an innocuous call about uh, getting makeup or something like that, right? Getting mm-hmm. perfume, trying out the new perfume. She It triggers her completely and she starts destroying her apartment. And this is where we talked about, is this where she's truly transitioning to Catwoman? It must be the full transition. Yeah, because yeah. she's like destroying everything about herself that was Selena Kyle. Yep. Like, obviously the... Uh, the dollhouse that she's been putting together. Yeah. She destroys it. Black spray uh, spray paint all over the house. Yeah, all, all over her clothes. All over her clothes. So it's, the transition is now complete, especially when she pulls what I would uh, bet was a rain jacket out of her armoire. Yeah. And uh, turns it into her very famous Catwoman suit. My first impression after she makes the Catwoman suit and uh, you see her in the window with all the cats is that uh, Michelle Pfeiffer is a very attractive woman. Very attractive <laughs> woman. Yowza. <laughs> and she, like I said, she's a completely, a completely different person now. Um, soon we see, uh, after this scene, we're back on the City Hall steps, which is a device Tim Burton has loved to use in both of these movies. Now everything happens in Gotham Square on the steps of City Hall. Yeah, there's always a boat. 75-ish people there. <laughs> yep. And minimal cops. <laughs> yeah. And that, yeah. It's that's the that's where it happens. Um the penguins goons. I don't know. Could you could you call the Red Triangle gang his goons? I'm not sure. It, they're kind of like their own thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're kind of their own thing. I don't know what they're necessarily getting from uh the penguin. Maybe like shelter, some place to go while they're not yeah. committing crimes. I got plenty of room down in the sewer if you guys want to come <laughs> down here. People it's... throw shit out all the time. <laughs> um the penguin, we soon see the penguin via a sewer gate. Um and <laughs> that's what I have written down and it doesn't make any sense. A uh, sewer gate. Um he's they're manufacturing the steal uh the stealing of the mayor's baby. So that the penguin can look like a hero. And I'd have to assume that this is uh, Shrek's plan, right? After they, yeah. yeah, this is completely Shrek's plan, all manufactured by him to set the stage to get uh, the penguin elected mayor. Right. Um, after he saves the mayor's baby, which was easily stolen from its mother, she didn't put up any type of fight whatsoever. No fight. Um, he then makes a very, the penguin then makes a very public plea that he wants to find his parents. He makes this plea on TV, and this is one of the first instances where we see uh, Bruce Wayne watching the news. We see him watching the news a few times in this movie, which I guess is a, a good plot device to get Batman informed. I guess. Um, Bruce obviously doubts what's going on with the penguin. He does not... Uh, think the penguin is genuine in any way whatsoever and i don't want this guy as mayor <laughs> <laughs> um after that scene we see the penguin going through the hall of records and is he looking for his footprints then because that's what they are they're like baby records right birth certificates yeah. he must be looking for his and he's <laughs> writing down potential names of who he could be yeah so I would assume if he's got flipper hands, he might have flipper feet. Must be. Maybe oh, he doesn't. But... I don't know how something, a genetic defect like that would work. Yeah. So when we watched it this time, I was look. I had that thought and I was looking at the pages as he's flipping them over, waiting to see like flipper feet. Yeah. I never but saw you don't any, see you any. don't see any flipper feet. Um, right after this, there's some 
a throwaway scene with some reporters and talking about First Amendment rights and stuff. That's why I find it suspicious because the Penguin got to be in there by himself. Like, is this the list of names that potentially, I'm getting ahead of myself here, is this the list of names that he uses uh, to steal the children at the to end of the movie? To get the firstborn children? Yeah. That maybe is, is what it is. that what it is? Because what would determine him like, Oh, yep, these are the names that sound like they could be my parents. <laughs> well, yeah. that's true. That's very, very true. Uh, so I bet that's... It must be, though. I, I bet you that's probably what it's in. Again, later on, uh, Catwoman mentions about his big list of names that he's got. Yeah. Um, right after we see this scene, we're back at the Batcave, which I still love Tim Burton's Batcaves because they're actually caves. This one seems a lot bigger in scope and not quite as dark. Yeah. Uh, but it's still really cool. Newly remodeled. Right, and so now after this uh, newly remodeled, <laughs> <laughs> so after Batman has watched this TV report and he's doing all this research trying to figure out who the Penguin is, um, I was struck by the fact that Alfred was like, "Give the Penguin a chance. Why you? Yeah, uh, give him a chance. He's just a penguin. <laughs> he's just a, some sewer penguin, some man that's lived in the sewer for thirty three years. Some sympathy." <laughs> So I mean, maybe the next scene is the penguin at the at the cemetery, and maybe this is why I was confused with the the Hall of Records because yeah, where did he get? Maybe he found the information he was looking for and made his list of names at yeah. the same time. Two birds with one stone. But we find out that Tucker and Esther are dead. Those are his parents, Tucker and Esther Cobblepot, and uh, he is reborn as Oswald Cobblepot. And he becomes a media darling soon thereafter. He has another one of his um, charismatic speeches, even though he's probably still smells really bad and still looks really gross. Yep. He's a, on the other side of the gate, so he's just far enough away. He's just far enough Not away. too alarming. And after he makes this announcement that he's Oswald Cobblepot, he, uh, there's a whole bunch of different... Um, newspaper headlines that are spouted off very quickly and i hadn't added any of to my notes until we just watched it and my favorite one that actually got a laugh maybe because i've paid attention to it for the first time was he's like the frog prince and he's like the frog that turned into a prince and then the man says no he's more like a penguin no he's more like a penguin (laughs) didn't you see no he's more like a penguin And straight from this scene, we see Catwoman uh, and her first confrontation with some sort of street thug that is trying to steal a purse from a woman in the alleyway, right? Is that what oh, it yeah. was? Whoops his ass. And whoops his ass, big time. And uh, the main thing that I uh, uh, gathered from that scene is that Catwoman can backflip for days. For days. <laughs> like, she just learned that out of nowhere. And we see another scene later where she comes backflipping up to people. Yep. So do you think she's just constantly doing backflips? Constantly. Just constant backflips yeah. in her in her house. Yeah. Like she gets that's up in the middle of the night to go get a snack and it's just backflips. Backflips. <laughs> Somehow that's the least tiring way to get anywhere in the house. <laughs> she probably covers the most distance, I would assume. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Do you think Michelle Pfeiffer was actually doing those backflips? I hope so. <laughs> I hope so, but I'm going <laughs> to guess no. I'm going to guess no also. Um. Shrek and uh, Bruce Wayne have a meeting about the power plant soon thereafter, and it quickly becomes very contentious. Like, it made me wonder to the point, why is Bruce even entertaining um, anything from Max Shrek if he automatically goes in there not wanting to do it? Right. He 
absolutely does a perfect spot on throw of his whole notepad to Max Shrek, who yeah. catches it perfectly so it's directly lining <laughs> up so he can read it. I I hope that was a, I mean, it, it looked like a real thing that they did. And yeah. Uh, I don't know how many takes that took, but. Uh, Here, it, I wrote this. Check it out. <laughs> Tosses it. No paper goes flying anywhere. Perfect. Perfect. Right, the perfect toss. Wonder if he got any Batman vibes there. Like, whoa. Oh. <laughs> so, you know what? Now that you say that, that makes perfect sense. Bruce Wayne can do that because he's the Batman. Obviously. Obviously. That, th- that makes perfect sense. I mean, he can throw that batarang. He should be able to throw a legal pad. Oh, not, not a problem. <laughs> legal pad, batarang. What else could Bruce That's Wayne... That's how he got the idea for the batarang. He's throwing legal <laughs> pads all don't... over. Legal pads. <laughs> Alfred, was... get about 20 feet away here. <laughs> Uh, uh, he is, so Shrek is then very angry basically with Bruce Wayne. Cause Bruce Wayne says he's got the, the mayor on his side and Shrek says mayors can change. And so, uh, that pretty much ends their, uh, Bruce Wayne's idea of investing in this whatsoever. Yep. And, uh, Max Shrek says, uh, if my assistant was here, I'd have her escort her out of here. And oh, turn around, Max. There is uh, Selena Kyle right there. Uh, Shrek can't believe it. That's for sure. He's visibly shaken. Yeah. Didn't uh, I throw you out a window? <laughs> he should have just said that. Yeah. Um, Selena is also visibly different. Oh, yeah. She's not wearing her glasses. No. Nope. Her hair is everywhere. Her, She's not all buttoned up to her neck. Yep. She's got the bandages from the mm-hmm. wounds. And uh, Bruce seems immediately interested in Selena Kyle. Like, whoa, you know how I like blondes. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. Uh, what did you think of their on-screen chemistry? I thought it was really good <laughs> the whole time. You could, I mean, it was way better than him and Vicky Vale to me, for sure. Mm-hmm. They both seemed like so genuinely interested in each other's character, both Selena Kyle and Bruce Wayne and Batman and Catwoman. I agree with you that it was much better than uh, his charisma with uh, Vicky Vale and just his charisma in general with uh, uh, Kim Basinger. Um, I found that I was feeling that Batman wasn't good enough for Selena Kyle. Like it was the other way around. Like Selena yeah. Kyle could do better than Batman. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Which was weird, but when you watch it, you understand. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the the chemistry worked fine. It was it was better than uh, Vicky Vale in the first movie. That um, soon after Bruce and uh, uh, Selena Kyle leave, uh, Max Shrek has a, uh, a small interaction with his son again, mm-hmm. and uh, Christopher Walken, at this point just being Christopher Walken, steps closer to the camera and delivers. A very funny Christopher Walken line that I hope he just ad-libbed because it seems like something that he would say. He says, I got bigger fish to fry. <laughs> <laughs> that, that impression is still not getting any better. Um, right after that scene, we uh, we see the penguin. Looks like he's in some sort of attic. Attic. I assume that it's his new lair. Like... He's now above ground, right. so he's got a new place that he can hang out with the Red Triangle gang. And uh, we see, uh, yeah, he's eating, oh, we'll cut this part out too. <laughs> uh, we see what we think is the Penguin's hideout, and uh, Max Shrek comes up the stairs, which when we were watching this, 
I noticed that uh, the Penguin was in focus and Max Shrek was also in focus. And it seemed weird that they could be both in focus in the film. And I just don't know how that would be done. You said maybe it's two different shots put yeah, together. Um, I would. It'd be interesting to look into that and see how that shot was done. Um, but Shrek coaxes uh, uh, the penguin to come downstairs by giving him a fish. Yeah, a little, a little Smeagol treat. Too, <laughs> a little you know? Smeagol treat. Here, here, take the fish. Uh, do you think he was actually eating that fish? I really hope not, not but it, it looks like he it is. It really does. I don't know what they used instead of what the fish, what was in his mouth. But no, it nobody's like it. alarmed at all. He no. comes down and he's straight smeagling that fish and yay, Mayor Cobblepot. <laughs> <laughs> yep, surprise, it's a campaign office. Uh, Max Shrek goes through all this stuff that he wants to make uh, um, the penguin uh, mayor. And the penguin's very apprehensive at the beginning. He's not, doesn't seem to be very interested in doing it. Maybe he's just ultra surprised at what's going on and the, yep. all the people. Um, one of the funnier exchanges happen. Uh, two of what I would assume are probably just campaign assistants uh, come up to him and start talking to the penguin. And the one guy says, uh, not a lot of reflective surfaces in the sewer, is there? Yeah. And then uh, the penguin says, it could be worse. My nose could be gushing blood. <laughs> gushing blood. <laughs> and then the dude got his face bit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Mayor Cobblepot, everybody. <laughs> Max Shrek says, back to work. Back to work, everybody. And everybody goes back to work, and not a single thing is done about that. Everybody's... Oh, that's not changing my vote. I didn't like that guy anyway. <laughs> but by this, by this point, maybe it's the fact that he got to bite a dude's face. He's on board with being mayor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's just all on board. Yeah. I get all to bite people's face. You get to bite anybody's face you want. And not only biting people's face, Shrek makes sure to tell him, make sure to tell him that he will get unlimited poontang. Unlimited poontang. You drive a hard bargain, he said. <laughs> That's just another one of those lines. I just can't believe that that line's in this movie. What a strange line to have any. Yeah. Just, it's just a strange line. Um, We see after this that... Uh, so I'm missing something here in my notes, and I don't know. So after the unlimited poontang line, um, the next thing I got is the Batman is fighting uh, the Red Triangle Gang. Seems like there's something missing in there. Um, so I guess we'll just uh, move on to that. Move on to that. Uh, move on to that. Um, I find in this uh, sequence that uh, Keaton's pretty good as the Batman. It seemed like he was doing a lot of those fight scenes. I mean, they were pretty basic in, uh, as today's standards go by pretty basic but it was more convincing than the first movie a, a lot more of keaton fighting in general right. um we see the programmable batarang which he throws and seeks out people incredibly slowly yep and uh, they all just wait their turn yep they all just wait their turn except for the dog the dog catches it and steals yeah. it which you know um was funny it was enough to give me a laugh and yeah that's, this movie has a lot more gags than you would uh definitely than you saw in 89 for sure um while this is all happening, we then see Selena Kyle as Catwoman uh, going into the department store, into Shrek's department store, to just wreck up the place because mm -hmm. she's doesn't like Max Shrek for obvious reasons. Hates him. Yeah, I mean, I, that is the line to draw on the sand. I mean, he did try to kill her. Did try to kill me. <laughs> that's where I draw the line. That is a line to draw in in the in the sand, and she's really becoming a 
uh, scene stealer by this point. Oh, yeah. When she's on screen, it's engaging, it's interesting, it's really fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, I wish she would have gotten another chance to be Catwoman. I know, seriously. It's, she should have got her own movie or... You know, if Burton had done the next one, she should have been in the next one, too. Yeah, I, just, I can't believe nobody asked her to do anything ever again as yeah, Catwoman. Nowadays, if that performance happened, she would have her own Disney Plus show yep. and all this stuff. You yep. know, her own uh, uh, trilogy, she would have everything. Yep. Yeah, her own video games, she would have everything. Um, another instance of extreme innuendo by uh, Catwoman when she's confronted by the guards and... Uh, she said, uh, don't confuse your uh, pistols for your privates, boys. <laughs> <laughs> and during this time, Batman is still fighting the Red Triangle gang. And um, he comes up against a very large member of the gang and uh, gets punched in the face. And then uh, the large clown says, go ahead, punch me in the face. Go ahead, punch me. Uh, Batman does while simultaneously putting a package of... Uh, like eight sticks of dynamite, dynamite in his, yep. his waistband, which he doesn't notice or feel. Um, <laughs> he looks down and sees, oh my goodness, Batman. Oh, whoa. <laughs> Batman jumps up and punches him into a sewer and he explodes. Yep. So With ca- the slow walk away. Yep. Casualty I'm number Batman. two. <laughs> Casualty number two. <laughs> uh, All I do is kill people. That's He, he should have said that. That would have been a great tagline. I would have really enjoyed that a lot. <laughs> Um, Catwoman destroys, she, so we talked about that when she gets the gas going in the department store, puts the spray paint cans in the microwave. And I said, would this actually cause an explosion? Not sure. Not sure, but I think it would, but she blows the place up. Yeah. Um, and a pretty cool line, uh, delivered by her, uh, was just meow. And then the place blew up. Uh, cool guys don't look at explosions. So Batman and Penguin both go chasing for the Catwoman up uh, the side of the building, which uh, the Penguin says that he has dibs after he uh, after she explodes the department store. Um, as Batman is uh, climbing up the ladder, Catwoman's there waiting for him, gives him a good kick in the face, <laughs> uh, jumps down, and they start engaging in a pretty cool fight. Um, they go back and forth a little bit. Uh, Batman ends up punching Catwoman and. Uh, knocking her down, and Catwoman says, "How dare you? I'm a woman." Oh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. So, I'm sorry. So, Kerblam! Kerblam! And Batman's over the edge of the roof. She uh, quickly catches him with a whip and ties him up. Um, she says, uh, "Life's a bitch, and now I'm so am I." <laughs> and he shakes up his little acid concoction and hits her, hits her right in the arm, and she ends up falling over the side of the building. It is a little bit goofy looking because it feels like she falls backwards and that batman drops down so we're just gonna say that batman ends up saving selena kyle from falling to her death yep um they have another tense sexual uh um interaction and uh selena kyle catwoman uh stabs him in the side gets right by his armor stabs him in the side he's like how dare you punches her off the building and she goes and falls into a it it wasn't it wasn't a truck full of cat litter. It was probably just gravel, but she right. said it was cat litter. Yeah. Um, and that saved was by kitty litter. Saved by kitty litter. And that was Catwoman's second fall of the movie. Second fall. Um, right after this scene, we see uh, that we're now on the campaign trail with uh, the penguin. Um, 
He officially announces that uh, he is going to be running for mayor, mayor in a little press conference right in his, um, uh, right in his, uh, what's, I, his campaign office. There you go. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, and it's big news. Um, big news for everybody because it's a, an out of, uh, out of a season election. Um, right after that, in front of everybody, the penguin sexually harasses somebody. <laughs> <laughs> right in front of everybody. Yep. Um, so yeah, it was very weird. And once again, I guess if you can bite somebody right in the face and go on like nothing's happened, I then guess I guess you can you harass can, people. You can harass somebody, I guess. Um, the penguin then heads upstairs after sexually harassing a woman, uh, to find out that the cat woman is waiting for him. Um, one of the more grotesque, uh, lines of the movie is then issued by Danny DeVito as the penguin. Just the pussy I've been waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you said it. Thank you, Travis. <laughs> and this scene basically boils down to the fact that the Catwoman wants to team up with uh, the penguin to take care of Batman and get him out of the picture. Um, there was a weird interaction where uh, Catwoman decides to eat the penguin's bird, which he did nothing about. Um, luckily Catwoman brought a cat, so, yeah. uh, the penguin can threaten the cat and they both let each other's pets go respectively. <laughs> um, he, after that, there's more innuendo. Um, he, she basically said the idea of getting rid of Batman makes her feel dirty. And then she proceeds to give herself a bath in front of the penguin and the penguin can hardly contain himself. Yep. yep. Um, Right after that, there's this uh, quick scene where we see uh, Selena Kyle, uh, not as the Catwoman, and Bruce Wayne walking down the street. And they kind of have a weird meta conversation about uh, their alter egos yeah. to each other. Like, they're both talking about themselves. It's just a weird conversation to have. It, was, it struck me as odd, and you think that that would have been enough for them to figure out uh, that yeah, each don't other. Th- don't they say you're tired of hiding behind the mask? Yeah, they they do. Like uh, that should at least click for Bruce. Yes. Ultimately, Bruce does end up getting a date with Selena Kyle. Um, Cha-ching. I, I think it's just because he genuinely thinks she's a swell gal. Yeah. Um, maybe he has some hinkling that she is a uh, inkling, hinkling, inkling, hinkling, inkling. Uh, that she's Catwoman. Um, Maybe as a way to distract her during the big tree lighting events, because that's what's going to be happening later that night. Yeah, maybe. Um, It seems like because of events that happen later in the movie that he's just trying to get a date. Yeah. Um, Right after this is when they're going to be transitioning to the actual tree lighting ceremony. And uh, this whole scene opens up with the penguin kidnapping the ice queen. Yeah. And he does it with Batman's battering, programmable battering. Uh, which she politely smiles for a picture and he just clobbers her, uh, <laughs> takes her. And Bruce happens to see on TV. So he happens to see on TV that this happened, which ends up breaking up their date. But before that happens, they are on their date. Selena and Bruce are on their date at Bruce Manor. And I, they end up talking about Bruce Wayne's ex-girlfriend, uh, Vicky Vale. Vicky Vale. <laughs> So she she makes an appearance in spirit in the movie. So yes. you can't fault me completely, I guess. Um, it's kind of weird that they would do that, but I guess you wanted to uh, give Vicky Vale some sort of nod because it is supposed to be a sequel, right? Yeah. Um, he gives her some line about wanting to give her a kiss, and 
Uh, Selena Kyle being the new woman that she is, uh, just goes right for Bruce Wayne. Uh, starts smooching down on him. Oh, yeah. Smooch, smooch, smooch. She tries to feel up his side where she recently stabbed him, and he kind of flinches and pushes her hand away. Uh, he starts pulling down her sleeve because, you know, the upper arm and shoulder, that's pretty sexy. Pretty sexy. <laughs> uh, which she quickly puts the kibosh on because she has a hideous scar now from the acid that he threw at her. The um, jerk. And this is where... He becomes aware of uh, the fact that the Batman is now a uh, suspect in the uh, the missing Ice Queen. So he goes to Alfred to try to make up some excuse to tell uh, Selina why he's leaving. Um, Alfred basically obliges. Uh, then we see that Selina Kyle is doing the exact same, same thing. Because this is the uh, the plan that's going down that uh, she you and the Penguin. make up a sonnet or <laughs> dirty limerick of some kind? I wish I would. Uh, I wish we would know what the dirty limerick was that, that Alfred came. Alfred said, yeah. Uh, so they both. Um, this is the point where we see Batman going down to the uh, Batcave to get ready to go down to the tree lighting ceremony to help do his thing, and then he's getting all ready. He's got tons of the same bat suit tons in his safe. Of the same suit. Um, and then that flashes to Selina Kyle, uh, much less uh, with much less ceremony. She is trying to jam on her suit in her Volkswagen Beetle or whatever it is that she's <laughs> yeah. driving. Um, definitely gives the juxtaposition of the two, uh, the minds, even though they're really similar, they're still very different. Yeah. Um, uh, their chemistry in that scene, we already talked about it a little bit, but it was, it was really good. They seem romantically engaged in each other. It was believable. Very believable. Um, like I said before, though, I was more on the fact that I, I wasn't a fan of uh, Batman's or Bruce Wayne's chemistry with uh, Selena Kyle. Um, down at the plaza now, uh, the Batmobile gets parked in an alleyway, and instead of those um, animated, their uh, cell-painted shields from the first movie, they throw a little CGI in there, a little CG in there, and it's yep. all uh, CG shields now. Uh, and then it's send in the clowns. Here comes the Red Triangle gang, and they are trying to um, execute their plan of, uh, I don't think necessarily turning the Batmobile into a n- nuclear bomb anymore, uh, but they're definitely going to mess around with it. Um, the CGI shields are no match for that clown tech, though. They have no. zero problem zero getting into the Batmobile. Um, and the whole idea of kidnapping the Ice Queen that was all a big decoy, not a decoy necessarily, but it was all part of the plan to get Batman down there so that he can be truly framed for her death. Right. Um, we do see another really good fight scene between Catwoman and uh, Batman, and is this the, the third one? Second one? Second one between those two. Yeah, the second one between those two. Uh, Batman has a pretty good line, eat floor, high fiber. <laughs> <laughs> um and at this point, this is when the the Penguin and the Catwoman are really deploying the full scope of their plan. Uh, Catwoman takes uh, the Ice Queen and says, we got some girl talking to do. They end up on the roof, and for some reason, the Ice Queen is standing on the very edge of the roof. I don't know who told her to do that or why yeah, she decided why that was a obliged. good idea. Um, an umbrella full of bats comes flying from the Penguin, to make it look like the Batman did it, I guess. I don't. I, I guess. I guess. Ultimately, she falls off the edge, 
Um, this equals Batman being framed. Um, she did get to push the button, though. I mean, she was really she, concerned about pushing the button. She did push the button. <laughs> she did get to push the button. <clears throat> and then another thing to probably drive home the fact, I don't know how they would have managed to do this, but lots and lots of bats end up flying out of the Christmas tree just for it lighting up. So I, they really um, probably put home the uh, the idea that Batman was at fault for this, that it was his doing. Um, soon after, the cops are, they made it up to that top floor really fast. because Really looked like, quick. It looked like she fell like 80 floors or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and as they get up there, they just open fire and uh, Commissioner Gordon saying, don't shoot, don't shoot. And this is the second or third time we see Commissioner Gordon. <clears throat> he doesn't have hardly a role in this movie whatsoever. No. The cops shoot at Batman. He goes flying over the edge. Uh, Catwoman ends up on top of him, down lower on a different rooftop. And this is where we see the infamous face lick scene. Right. Yep. Um, this whole scene is just slathered in sex and innuendo. Uh, one thing that I had never noticed before is after B- Batman gets his face licked, um, he then licks his lips, he which is pretty, pretty gross. It was a different <laughs> cut, so I doubt that he actually licked his lips after Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer licked his face. Right, right. Um, but uh, they kind of go back and forth a little bit, and this is when Batman whips out that uh, he's got a hang glider. He jumps off the side of that building, making his escape, and flying down to where all the people are already really, really scared um, <laughs> because a woman just <laughs> fell to her death and terrorizes them some more, and he's not uh, doing himself any uh, favors by doing that. No. But he gets back to the Batmobile very soon after it was successfully sabotaged. Uh, we see that they put some sort of device deep inside of the Batmobile and, you know, they had that whole thing completely taken apart. Yeah. Uh, to just put one device on the bottom of it. One device, which he was putting it in from the top of the Batmobile. It was very odd and I was like, yeah. that doesn't make any sense, but that's okay. Uh, it was, it was, uh, successfully sabotaged. The Batmobile was, mm-hmm. um, the penguin and, uh, they go back to the rooftop and the penguin and the Catwoman have a little, uh, a little conversation about how they're successful, uh, with their plan. Catwoman was kind of surprised that, uh, the ice queen was killed. Um, and then Penguin advances on her and is trying to, yep, you know, let's consummate this. Let's consummate this. He gives her a ring and everything, and uh, Catwoman fully rejects him. And I wouldn't touch you to scratch you. And uh, the the penguin does not take rejection very well. You are sending me all the signals. <laughs> he manages to hook his uh, umbrella helicopter around her neck and send her for a little bit of a ride. And by the time she gets uh, it off of her neck, she's very high up in the in the sky and. She falls for her third fall of the movie. Yep, number three. Yep, and she falls through giant place plate glass windows, which probably would have been really painful and deadly. Yeah. Um. Once Batman, now we see that Batman is actually back in the Batmobile. We see the Penguin is going into his campaign trailer, and there's a little setup like a like a kitty ride. Yeah, like put in a quarter and ride this little car. And turns out, uh, the Penguin has complete control over the Batmobile now. Um, there's some really cool stunts in this scene and this is another instance where the Batmobile does a lot of driving and mm-hmm. it's really neat to see that stuff in the movie I really like that yeah Um, it really does make Batman look pretty bad I mean he's running over cops at this point yeah just um, destroying cars left and right he is going through all the gadgets in his uh, Batmobile trying to figure out what's going on 
he finally figures out that there is a some sort of technology on the bottom of his car, uh, on the bottom of the Batmobile. And how does he get to it, Trav? He punches a hole through the floor. He punches a hole through the floor of the Batmobile, which shouldn't be able to happen. Shouldn't be possible. Um, he is able to detach this device and regain control of the Batmobile um, right before he stop right before he runs over an elderly woman, which is a good thing. Nobody wants to see that. No, he makes his own escape. And do you remember the incredible shrinking Batmobile at all from uh, like toys or like anything like that? Uh, uh-uh, no. I, I remember there was part of the McDonald's had happy meal toys for this movie, but they were all recalled because McDonald's decided that this movie was way too dark. <laughs> and it was it was one of the toys, I'm pretty sure. And I had a couple of those toys before they got recalled. But mm-hmm. um, I, I always thought that that was super cool, that it shrunk down to a narrow version. It was almost like a motorcycle at that yeah. point. Um, soon after all of this, the Penguin is going to be giving a speech to his uh, constituents, to all the people he wants to convince to uh, vote for him. But unbeknownst to him... Uh, Batman and Alfred have a secret plot. Uh, they are going to hijack the PA system and play back the crazy things he said uh, while uh, he had control of the Batmobile the night before. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I noticed in this scene, well, made it stick out to me, is that Alfred has a lot bigger role in this movie, especially when it comes to like actually like dealing with the technology and being right. part of the system, which is it's neat, it's interesting to see. Um, they like to flash around those those CDs, yeah, <laughs> some yeah. superist, super futuristic technology from 1992. Um, so they end up playing the 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 clips of these speeches over and over and over again, and uh, they turn the crowd completely against uh, the Penguin. Uh, Batman even scratches on the CD a little bit, which as that's, if that makes any sense. That's not how that. That's not how that works. That's not how any of this works. And most of the crowd happened to have groceries. Uh, they were really angry with the penguin and started throwing all their uh, vegetables and everything. And yep. even made a comment about why do uh, why do people at these public speeches have eggs and lettuce or something yeah. like that? Um, Which is true. Penguin quickly becomes from potential mayoral candidate to full-on supervillain by firing on the crowd at that point. Yep, he didn't it's even over. didn't even want to try to salvage his campaign whatsoever. He's like, <laughs> no. it's over. I'm resorting to murder now. His Every- line is eggs. <laughs> you throw eggs, it's over. It's over with, completely over with. Um, Maybe it's disgraceful because of the whole penguin situation. Yeah, it could, <laughs> it could very well be. <laughs> uh, the penguin then escapes to the sewer, back to his uh, the exhibit at the abandoned uh, zoo, and he brings up what his actual plan is going to be, and that plan is going to be to kidnap all the firstborn sons of all the richest and influential people in the city and murder them. Yeah. Very sane. It's something a mayor would normally do. Exactly. It's murder children. Yeah. Um, this idea of killing large groups of children uh, is so heinous that uh, they even bring it up in the movie. One of the characters, one of the Red Triangle gang is like, really? You're going to kill some kids? Like, I didn't sign up for this. Um, you're dead yeah the penguin just kills him yep. <laughs> so I mean that just goes to show you that the penguin's like I don't care um, shoot to kill <laughs> um, after this scene uh, quick snippet back at the back cave where uh, Alfred introduces the fact that Max Shrek is having a costume party and he's wondering if uh, Bruce Wayne wants to go initially Bruce says no but then he realizes Selena Kyle's going to be there 
So he says yes, after Alfred had already ripped up the invitation, and Alfred looks uh, uh, he looks unhappy the fact that he ripped it up, and now he has to actually RSVP. Um, <laughs> a lot of tape and a little bit of patience. <laughs> there you go, Alfred. Just take a, take a hint there, Alfred. Um, now that we're at this party, uh, Bruce and Selena, they see each other very quickly, and the one thing that is pointed out uh, soon after you see them is that neither of them are actually wearing costumes. Uh, they say in the movie that they're tired of wearing costumes and stuff like that, but I almost took it as the fact that like they maybe believe that their costume selves, their what would be their alter ego, is a more true version of themselves, mm-hmm. and maybe their everyday personas like Selena Kyle and Bruce Wayne is are, their costume. Is their costume? That's who they are in between being who they actually are. Right. Which may, may not have been the intention of the screenwriters or of Tim Burton, but it's what I drew from it at least. Um, there's a ton more innuendo between, uh, uh, Selena Kyle and Bruce Wayne because they're very into each other. They seem to like each other a lot. She reveals that he, she is there not to see Bruce, but to, to kill Max Shrek. Yes. She's there to kill him. I mean, rightly so. He tried to kill her. (laughs) It's only fair. Uh, they share a tender kiss. And, uh, then they repeat some lines to each other that we didn't say earlier. Um, but, uh, uh, they, they repeat some lines to each other and this is when they realize that, uh, they are Catwoman and and Batman. Batman. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Batman says, well, Bruce Wayne says, let's, let's go outside, but they don't make it there. Nope. And this introduces the final sequences, sequence of events for the rest of the movie. Uh, the penguin emerges from the floor, which is a good thing that they did, uh, get off the center of the dance floor because that's exactly where the penguin arose in a gigantic explosion. Um, He reveals his plan that he's going to be uh, kidnapping uh, uh, children and everything. And he wants to take uh, Max Shrek's first son, Kip. Chip. 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 But uh, Shrek convinces him not to take him instead, basically saying, I'm the one that did this. You should want to kill me. Don't kill my son. Um, they had, they head down, uh, to the abandoned penguin exhibit at the abandoned zoo, which abandoned zoo. And I, did I already say this in the middle of Gotham city? It looks absolutely enormous and is completely unused. It just yeah. seems odd. Uh, Shrek's in a cage. Um, we then see the, the baby murder train on the streets of Gotham yep. and Batman just easily thwarts it. He just he yep. goes down there and just said, yeah, you're not going to do this, I guess. So easily thwarts it. He has time to get his bat stationary out, scrawl a little note to the penguin, and send it with a monkey. Uh, the penguin does get this note from his uh, from his monkey, and it says the kids aren't going to make it. Uh, so now the penguin's plan is basically foiled. Yep, it's, it's over. He, nice try. Nice try. Batman took care of it uh, very easily, and the penguin is very upset that he doesn't get to kill any more children. Um, he decides to go full on though in releasing his militarized penguins, which they never really discuss why these penguins are strapped with rockets. Um, <laughs> they are strapped with rockets though. Um, and he gives a gigantic rousing speech to what look like hundreds, maybe thousands of penguins. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the one thing is though, is, uh, birds don't speak English. So yeah. Yeah. 
there's no sense to be made out of that. No sense to be made out of that whatsoever. These birds that don't speak English that taught him how to speak English don't understand him speaking English. <laughs> that's all there is to it. Um, after this, we see that Batman is well on his way to finding the penguin, and he has the most specialized uh, piece of equipment I think we've seen in any Batman movie whatsoever. It's a hydrofoil. I believe that's what they're called, hydrofoils. It's a, some sort of ship that uh, fits perfectly in the sewers of Gotham yep. and is made to tootle around in the sewers, I guess. It's just an odd an odd device, I think, to have in the movie. But I guess you need to get Batman there somehow. Yeah. He, he could just take the Batmobile, right? But the Batmobile may be in some disrepair at this point. I don't know. It was cool. I guess they're trying to maybe recapture some of the... Um, majesty of the reveal of the Batwing from yeah. the first one, it doesn't go over as well. It doesn't go over as well. No, but... it definitely doesn't go over as well. So the Penguins are now heading out. They're going to go do their thing where they're going to uh, uh, Gotham Square to kill everybody, 100,000 people at least in the city. Yeah. But once again, that technological whiz Alfred manages to reverse the Penguins marching by jamming their signals. So thanks, Alfred. Thanks, Alfred. That was nice. <laughs> uh, knowing the jig is up, the penguin tries to uh, escape via motorized duck. Uh, once uh, the penguin does get outside, uh, the Batman, with his hydrofoil sewer ship, manages to crash directly into him and thwart his uh, escape completely. Um, Batman inspects the wreckage after he gets out and doesn't see the penguin uh, right away, but the he does do, the Penguin has a little sneak attack on Batman, and um, I don't know what the Penguin is thinking, because the Batman should be able to easily dispatch of the Penguin no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> no chance. Um, so this now kind of brings one of the more confusing parts of the story uh, into light. Like, he has the the radio switch to deploy the Penguins, right? To deploy their rockets. Right. And the Penguin seems really threatened by the fact that he has this. As if they're going to blow up or yeah, something. something. Um, the Penguin ends up getting the upper hand by smacking uh, the uh, radio device out of Bruce Wayne's hand, out of Batman's hand, and gets it himself. And now he thinks he has the upper hand. And he pushes the button. And all the Penguins shoot their rockets off and completely destroy the zoo where they're at. Like, I... <sighs> So what was the main goal? I really don't understand the introduction of that button just to introduce the fact that everything needs to blow up, right? Just to yeah, some sort of cause for destruction. Like Penguin wanted to be the one to press the button. So yeah. the fact that Batman was going to press the button, that, that set him over the edge. So at this point, though, now that the whole place is blowing up and it's going to blow up for the rest of the movie, uh, continuous rocket explosions basically for the rest <laughs> yeah. of the movie. Um, the rest of the Red Triangle gang, they're out of there. They completely abandoned the Penguins, so they are no longer a factor in anything that happens. Um, one other thing that does happen after the button is pushed is it does release a whole bunch of bats from the hydrofoil, which uh, attack the Penguin, push him through a window, and he falls multiple stories to his presumed death. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned, which I hadn't drawn this conclusion, we had talked about in the last episode, that... Batman was originally supposed to defeat the Joker by summoning bats uh, to overwhelm him and kill him by pushing him over the edge of a building, most likely. Uh, that's what kind of happened in this movie. Basically, what I, that was the first thing I thought of was, okay, they didn't do it in the first one, so here it is in the second one. 
So now with uh, uh, the Penguin dispatched, we uh, get to see Max Shrek again uh, in his cage trying to coax the monkey to give him the keys to get out. Yeah. Which stupid monkey ends up doing it, which I guess... <laughs> stupid monkey. <laughs> stupid monkey. Um, soon, uh, so now that Shrek is free... He ends up, he ends up jumping in the water, correct? Yeah. He ends up jumping in the water. Um, he has a hard time getting out. He finds the gun that's down there. Um, he climbs out and then we see Catwoman start to engage with, uh, Max Shrek. Um, he offers her, offers her anything that she could possibly want to just let him go. Um, but all she wants is blood. She just wants to kill, uh, Shrek. She has no... Uh, no other plan besides to kill him. And if that yeah. means dying with him, that's what it so means. So be it. At this point, though, Batman has joined the party, and uh, Shrek thinks Batman's there to save him. Nope. No, that is not the case whatsoever. Um, but Batman does uh, does try to reason with Catwoman and the classic, let's run away together speech. He wants yep. her to just give everything up. They can run away together, and they can live like billionaires because Bruce Wayne's a billionaire. Um, which reveals to Shrek that Catwoman is Selina, which I don't know how he didn't figure it out, but he hadn't figured it out yet. Right. Um, he's very surprised by that. Um, and in turn, to prove his uh, loyalty is not the right word, but maybe commitment to running away with uh, Selina Kyle and not the Catwoman, with Selina Kyle, uh, Batman tears his mask off. Yeah, just rips this thing right off. So in a very short period of time, Batman reveals who Catwoman is and to and who he is to uh, Shrek without yeah. with impunity. He has no, he doesn't care. No. Nope. Um, and Shrek says, "Why are you dressed up as Batman? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> show me your wallet. <laughs> show me your <laughs> check his wallet." Uh, Selina Kyle, Catwoman says, "No, you idiot. He is Batman. Like." Give me a break. Give me a break, you moron. Uh, Shrek shoots Batman, knocking him down, um, which he takes a really long time to get up for, but it allows us to have a cool interaction between Selina Kyle and uh, Max Shrek. Uh, Catwoman basically says, you better have enough bullets in there to kill me. Yeah. And he, Shrek then uh, shoots her twice, and she says, you know, four, five, still alive. And then he ends up shooting her two more times. Six, seven, all good girls go to heaven. And then click, click. So that totals seven lives. Seven, seven lives that Catwoman has spent in this movie. Uh, so she then says that she is basically willing to sacrifice one more life. And she wants to save another one for Christmas time next year. Which I don't really know what that means maybe to go on another killing spree Christmas time. I don't know, yeah. but she wants to save one life. Um, so she says another really great line to Shrek. How about a kiss, Santa Claus? And Catwoman and Shrek are both electrocuted hideously. Yeah. <laughs> him a little more so. Him, him a little bit more so. It does end up uh, being that Catwoman ex- escapes, or at least not found by Bruce right away. And, uh, uh, Shrek is a shell of himself. He looks like a hideous burnt monster. So no more Max Shrek. He all gone. He's gone. He's looking like the dude from Tales from the Crypt. <laughs> he really was looking like the dude from Tales of the Crypt quite a bit. 
Um, this is where we get an, a Jason Voorhees moment. Um, the penguin rises out of the water as if uh, he's possessed by the devil himself. Uh, surprisingly enough, he's not dead. He wants to make one more attempt to kill Batman. And so he grabs one of his umbrellas, but he picked the cute one. The cute one. <laughs> and he falls over dead after that. He just couldn't make it anymore. And um, he gets a traditional uh, penguin funeral soon after that. Um, uh, and no more no more penguin. The penguin is dead. The, the penguin is done. Uh, and so with Shrek dead and Catwoman missing... Bruce Wayne is left to tour his city with, uh, with Alfred. Um, he does happen to see, uh, well, at least what he thinks he sees, is Selena Kyle's uh, shadow dressed as Catwoman. Mm-hmm. So he has uh, Alfred stop the vehicle. He goes into the alleyway. He ends up finding nothing but a black cat, and he takes the cat home with him. And Bruce Wayne gets wished a Merry Christmas uh, by Alfred in the car. And then Bruce, so Bruce Wayne in the last line of the movie, the last line of Michael Keaton's career as Batman, says, Merry Christmas, Alfred, and goodwill towards men and women. And And women. women. That's just not a great line to end your Batman. It's not a good line. Uh, And the movie ends with the bat signal uh, because a superhero's work is never done. And uh, then we get to see Catwoman. Not dead, but she is definitely on her last life. Yes. Um, very enjoyable movie. Um, absolutely loved most everything about it. Um, like I said, it's going to be a perennial Christmas watch now for the definitely. rest of my life. Um, so now that we've broken down the movie scene by scene, um, I'm going give to give you a rating here. What do we got? I'm going to give it 4.7 wet Max Shreks out of five. <laughs> I like it. I like <laughs> it. Um, I did mention this once before, but it's worth mentioning again that McDonald's had a big time problem with this movie and did pull all their toys from it because it was too gruesome, just too gruesome and too sexual. And I believe one of the executives at McDonald's asked one of the, I'm not sure if it was Tim Burton or somebody else involved in the movie, um, what is all that black stuff that comes out of the penguin's mouth? So I think that was the beginning of the end for that type of, uh, yeah, for that uh, yep. deal with uh, McDonald's and Batman Returns. Um, so with Batman Returns done, we're going to talk about our homework assignment for next show. And of course, it's going to be Batman Forever. June 16th, 1995 was when that was released. And it had a box office of $336 million worldwide on a $100 million budget. Um, if you go and uh, uh, take an account for inflation, that's $625 million today. And for a while, it had the record for the uh, opening weekend at $52.2 million. Uh, Joel Schumacher, he directs this new movie, and it's replacing Burton. Burton was still a producer. Um, to give you an idea of some other movies that uh, Joel Schumacher did, he did St. Elmo's Fire, which is a really good Brat Pack movie from 1985. So that one's got Emilio Estevez, Rob Lowe, Andrew McCarthy, Demi Moore. Demi Moore? Demi Moore? Yeah, Demi Moore. <laughs> <laughs> Judd Nelson, Ali Sheedy, and Addie McDowell. He also did uh, The Lost Boys, 1987's Lost Boys. So that's got the Corys, Corey Hammond, Corey Feldman, and Kiefer Sutherland in, is in that one. 
You've seen that one, right? Lost Boys? I have not. Man, that's a really good movie. But I'm kind of surprised. All those actors, I'm so. surprised you haven't seen The Lost Boys. That's a really good movie. And then Falling Down with Michael Douglas, which is a um underrated movie. I really like that movie. I've only seen it a few times, but he just basically is a uh, a man that snaps and he uh takes care of business in a vigilante type of way. Um there are lots and lots and lots of cast changes. This movie is a lot different than the first two Batmans, definitely. Um, the two people that uh, the two actors that are returning are Pat Hingle as Commissioner Commissioner Gordon, which he was barely in this one and barely in Batman uh, Returns, and then Michael Go Go as Alfred Pennyworth. He also returns. The new uh, cast includes Val Kilmer, which both Ethan Hawke and William Baldwin were considered for the new Batman. Um, Nicole Kidman as Doctor Chase Meridian, uh, Chris O'Donnell as Dick Grayson. Tommy Lee Jones as Two-Face slash, slash Harvey Dent. Jim Carrey as the Riddler. Edward, Edward Nigma, Enigma. And when you see, we'll talk about that. <laughs> Ed Bagley Jr. as Fred Stickley, who is Enigma's uh, boss. Drew Barrymore as Sugar, one of Two-Face's assistants. And John Favreau is in this as assistant number two. That's cool. So and, he was in uh, DC before Marvel. Yeah, and you, that's somebody that is definitely uh, completely, completely... His career is probably completely different than he ever thought it was going to oh, be. Oh, for sure. Um, so let's talk about for a second uh, why this movie matters and why we're going to continue with it. Um, mostly because we've done the first two Batmans and now it's time to do the other two out of this 90s quadrilogy. Um, but also, it matters because Burton is like stepping away from Batman at this point. He like resurrected the franchise, but he's going to allow somebody else... Uh, to direct it and Schumacher and Burton who were friends in Hollywood Schumacher made sure to ask Tim Burton if he could do it before he did it because he had the most respect for him yeah um, Schumacher is allowed basically by not being Tim Burton to take the movie and the franchise in a fresh direction while keeping some of that Tim Burton charm um, Burton Definitely gets credit. I said this already, but definitely gets credit for launching Batman into something more than the, the campy Adam West era. And uh, Schumacher gets credit for bringing the mass appeal back to the franchise after the minor backlash and diminishing returns of Batman Returns. Um, so I'm super excited for Batman, uh, Batman Forever, for our next homework. Um, I really liked this movie a lot when I was a kid. Like I said, this came out in 1995. I was 11 years old, so this was one that I saw in the theater. This is one that I watched a lot on VHS, and mm -hmm. it was one of the first movies that I bought on DVD. Yeah, I did see this one, but I, I barely remember it. I honestly remember Jim Carrey as the Riddler, and I remember, I swear, a scene where he's like up on a clock tower doing something, and that's literally about all I remember in the fact that it's a different Batman, but... It'll be interesting. There's a lot of stuff to really talk about with this movie. I'm excited. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. Doing the research for Batman Returns, there just wasn't a ton of, I don't know, controversy. I mean, yeah. there's, there was plenty of controversy, but not the type of stuff that I really like to talk about when it comes to these movies. So do you know why Tim Burton wanted to step away? Just because he didn't care about the money at this point? Or he had, um, he had like done his job and brought it back to light and... The, it was mostly the studio wasn't interested in having him back. Oh, really? Yes, because of the direction that the the Batman Returns took. Excuse me. And uh, the fact that uh, they really wanted to capitalize on toys, sure. video games, 
Which, if they have another super sexual movie, maybe it doesn't work out. Yeah, I mean, it's Batman Returns is as close to like an art house type of film you can get for a major motion picture. Yeah. yeah. And then, do you know why Michael Keaton didn't want to be in it? Too much or not enough money? Or Uh, money was part of it. He also didn't like the. He didn't like the script. He didn't like the way where the movie was going. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I guess with with that, I just want to make sure everybody does their homework. Like, do your homework. It makes it a lot more fun. It does. It, it make really it a lot does. More fun. Like, uh, I know not everybody can have the opportunity to watch the movie two or three times, like I try to do before we do these podcasts. But uh, if you can, it does make it a lot of fun. Um, I guess that about takes it for that today. Um, Trav, do you have anything you'd like to talk about? No, I think I'm about ready to get into some of these fan emails here. Please do. So this first one here comes from our first real fan. Tim writes in to say, I am currently your biggest fan. I'm sure someone else could easily take that title from me as I am only five foot eight, 175 pounds. But I am writing in to ask, when is the next episode? I've been waiting all day. Thanks. <laughs> well, here's the next episode. Uh, you're going to have to wait even more for the next episode. But our plan is to re- release these episodes bi-monthly. Uh, like we mentioned in the first episode, Trav and I both have day jobs. So unfortunately, that makes the money. Bi-weekly, right? Yes. You said bi-monthly. So, okay, so there you go. It's the same thing, right? Bi-monthly, twice a month, bi-weekly. Oh, maybe. <laughs> right? <laughs> maybe. Same thing. Okay, okay. But no, no, but it's one of those weird things. But yes, we're going to be shooting for two episodes a month. There we go. <laughs> Every other that week. Clear, that clears it up for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now back to the questions that I made up for us. Um, Dang, you're old, wants to know, did you have a favorite Nick at Night show growing up? Uh, I Love Lucy. I Love Lucy. I Love Lucy. It was on a lot for Nick at Night. Uh, Nick at Night in my wheelhouse was a lot of the black and white stuff that was on. Uh, I liked Mr. Ed also, especially as a kid. Um, But the Happy Days was okay, but I Love Lucy, that's the one that really sticks out. I remember genuinely laughing at that show as a 10, 11, 12 year old. Yeah, I remember that. I remember I Dream of Genie, but I wrote down The Monsters. Oh, yes, the that's Monsters. really great. What's funny is now it's like Friends is on Nick mm-hmm, at Night. It's mm-hmm. kind of crazy. And doesn't Nick at Night start at like 6 o'clock or something <laughs> yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah. Next one here is Turtles in a Half Shell wants to know, what is your favorite Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle? Um, So I was always a Donatello guy. Nice, nice. Um, yeah, I just Donatello. I think maybe because he was really popular. Popular. He had the most range in the yeah. video games. Too, yeah, he for did. Sure. I put down Michelangelo. Yeah, big Mikey fan. He's the funny dude. Mm-hmm. I like the nunchucks. Mm-hmm. My grandma had made me a stained glass Michelangelo nightlight when I was a kid, and my very first Halloween costume when I was three years old was Michelangelo. Nice. That's awesome. Next question here we got is from Xavier School for the Gifted wants to know who is your favorite X-Men? Mm, my favorite X-Men. It's it's uh obvious, but I'm gonna go Wolverine. Um a very close second is Cyclops, and I think that's mostly because of the stand up arcade. Those were my two yeah. favorite to play as yep. in the stand up arcade. So I also put Wolverine. <laughs> Obviously, it's hard not to have mm-hmm, him as your favorite, mm-hmm. but then I put if Wolverine, then who's your second? So you answered that already. Nightcrawler is my oh, second. Oh, Nightcaw- Nightcrawler is really cool. Yep. Next question here we got is from Giant Red Pitcher wants to know what was your favorite Kool Aid when you were a kid? 
uh, just straight up fruit punch, uh, that one, or there was like a blue raspberry one. I like that one a lot too, but my mom used to buy the, the large container of yeah. the Kool-Aid and it was always fruit punch. Sure. I'm black cherry is what oh, I put down there. Good, 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 good. And then up here, we call it pop wants to know what was your favorite pop growing up? Growing up, it was Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew, do yeah. the Dew. Mountain Dew and Doritos. As much to the shock as anybody who knows me listening to this, it was not Dr. Pepper for me <laughs> when I was a kid. I drank all sorts of pop. Now I only drink Dr. Pepper, but I put down vanilla Coke. Oh, vanilla Coke. That vanilla is one Coke. of my least favorite pops ever. That's crazy. <laughs> ever. But you like cherry Coke. I love cherry Coke. Okay, okay. Especially if you go to a restaurant, order a cherry Coke, and they actually like make you the cherry Coke. Right. Instead of just out of the gun, like it's the Coke. And then the the cherry, the maraschino cherry juice or whatever it is. So do you not like vanilla any kind of pop? No, I'm not a fan. Not a fan of vanilla pops. I like cream soda, though. That's almost a vanilla pop. Yeah, there's the cream soda Dr. Pepper. I know a little something about (laughs) And then the last email here comes from a Mr. J.G. Wentworth writes in to say, if you have a structured settlement and you need cash now, call J.G. Wentworth (laughs) at 877-CASH-NOW. And Uh, he's insisting I do this next part. Call J.G. Wentworth, 877-CASH-NOW. <laughs> and if that doesn't prove I'll do anything for this podcast, I don't know what does. <laughs> but seriously, everybody, email us at overduehomeworkpodcast at gmail.com. Send us in any questions. I would love to read real questions and not have to make these up. Send us in any topic ideas. If you like hearing us yak about something specific, let us know. And we do have some other social media platforms to check us out on. Follow us on our Twitter at Overdue Homework. And then give us a follow on Instagram at Overdue Homework Podcast. Uh, Drew will probably be posting some updates, maybe future homework assignments on there. Mm -hmm. A reminder that next week's homework assignment is 1995's Batman Forever. And thank you guys for listening, and don't forget to tune in to the next exciting episode of the Overdue Homework Podcast.